All right, so we probably should start with some follow-up. Since <sighs> since our last episode was, uh, I don't know, how would you describe it? I, I, someone said it's inter- it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, someone said it was interesting. So I, I, I was talking about this a little bit in the, in the Slack channel, but you know, we were pretty nervous about releasing that episode. And I'm not sure why. And it's, um, who was it that was saying, who was it that I was talking with about how, you know, there's, anytime you do something like this where you're just kind of, I mean, we're obviously op- openly critical of Salesforce and some of their strategies and, I don't know, just uh, whatever. Chuck Liddell. I think it was Chuck Liddell, that's right. No, not the... The, 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 the M- MMA fire. Yeah. Yep, he's in our section. No, no. <laughs> MVP, not MMA. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> but yeah, he was saying, you know, there's definitely the, that that chance to kind of get burned, whether it's by Salesforce. I mean, who knows? Maybe, I mean, why didn't I get a press pass this year? It makes no sense, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just an example. I'm not, I'm not complaining about that. I'm not whining about that. I don't think it's that deep-seated. I, I don't think Salesforce really cares what we have to say. They may not. I have no idea. Um, but there's, and there's also the, you know, what about if you're, you know, your clients or your future and potential employers here, you, you know, Complaining about Salesforce or something is that, or or even uh, you know having uh, one too many on the podcast and having fun with it is that? Not to me, I think that's great. Like that's because that's what this podcast was supposed to be. It was supposed to be the conversations you and I normally had, which were usually over alcohol, when we talked about technology or Salesforce or or complained about this or that or whatever. The idea was we just take that exact situation and we turn on a recorder. Right now we have about five thousand dollars more in equipment than we did. Then, <laughs> but it's the—that's what it's supposed to be, right? And so you're going to have some drinking, you're going to have some slurred words, you're going to have some some cuss words occasionally, and we tr- well try to bleep those because we do know there are some people that try to l- listen with their family around or whatever. And and I think we're generally pretty safe for work, and we try to, you know, whatever. But this is an adult conversation, right? And it's and it's that is what we're that's what it's based on—just honesty and. Just a nice conversation, and and is that gonna you know is that is that always the best thing for you for my relationship with Salesforce for your relationship with Salesforce is it the best thing for a potential future employer to hear I don't know I kind of think in some ways it is yeah maybe I don't know I I don't really think of it in those terms I mean I I okay I don't I'm, I'm telling a lie right before we release it I think in those terms I'm like I, it, it it's not hold on it's not that. I'm nervous about how people are going to react. I'm more nervous about how I sound, you know, whether or not I made my point or if I said something the right way or if I said something completely wrong. I'm more nervous about that than I am, you know, someone listening and saying, hey, that was dumb of you. I'm going to stop sending you work. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't think we walk that line. I don't think we're just critical to be critical. I think we, we talk about what we experience and, and sometimes it's good and we have some things to say and some tips to share. And sometimes a lot of times it's, it's, you know, the, the, right. the trials and tribulations <laughs> that we're going through. And that, that's why I think overall, I mean, I think, I think people would hear us and, and think, Oh, well, those guys, you know, kind of sound like they know what they're talking about with the Salesforce system, right? They know the, they know the ins and out, the goods parts and the bad parts, and they know how to avoid them and the techniques and everything. I think that's overall a good thing. And if you can't handle an adult conversation or if you can't handle the truth, then you know what? Thank you. You just weeded yourself out as a potential client for me. <laughs> and you know what it all it all boils down to? Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. That's 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 all this is. This is just opinions. 
It is. You know, and I'm certainly uh, get things wrong sometimes. And, but I mean, part of what we do is like put something out there, put a hypothesis out there, put an argument out there, and then talk yeah. about it. Sometimes I'll be right, sometimes I'll be wrong. And we, and that's nothing. We try to be fair. Like I'll always, I mean, if the metadata ape, you know, PM wants to come on and have a discussion, totally I'd, I would do it. And I wouldn't be a jerk about it, you know? Just like we weren't a jerk with the, with uh, Nick Ham or anyone else. Like, always willing to set the record straight to clarify things, to get more information. Yeah. Um, you know, but we're going to have fun. We're going to have fun. If we're not having fun, then we're not going to do the show. I think I had too much right? fun last well, time. Well, we did. I mean, that was fun. And do I want to get, <laughs> you know, do I want us to get drunk on every show? No. No. Um, but that was fun. And like I said, what, regardless of what it is, we're going to have fun. And, and if it's not fun, then we're not going to do it. And I think people like, I think, I think we've become, we've gotten this feedback that we've become kind of therapy for people. Like I picture people, you know, sitting around on a, on their Friday train ride home or whatever it is, you know, with a glass of their favorite beverage and just kind of chilling out and, and having a therapy session with us. Virtual couch. Yeah, I mean, that, I, again, I think that's kind of what this has become. Yeah, I guess. And a lot of that's based on, again, I think a lot of what drives how we've changed and what we do differently now is, is, um, is just, the feed, it's just the feedback we get and, and just the, the conversation we have with. Yeah. Conversation. With, uh, <laughs> with the people that, you know, that enjoy the show. I'm really enjoying, I mean, that's one thing that's great about this is just the community aspect. And I think, I think the Slack channel has turned out to be a pretty cool thing. Um, yeah. That's, that's made this 10 times more fun to do. And now, the other thing, though, is it actually, um, it, <laughs> one negative, I guess it would be a negative aspect. I don't know. Maybe that's too harsh. Is that I, you know, I look at some of these guys and gals and I'm like, wow, these people are much smarter than I am. Or they, you know, some of these people know much more about, I think, Salesforce than I do. But that's kind of cool, though, because they can uh, set the record straight. And well, we get some really good uh, information going back and forth. But that's a, that's a nice aspect. Are you trying to thank the community for being the I'm community? Always, I'm, always, I'm always thankful and appreciative for anyone who listens to us and you know, hopefully they enjoy it. I, in fact, if you don't enjoy it, probably shouldn't listen because I don't want you to do something you don't enjoy, but I, th- I just think it's great. And I've always said, like, I don't care, you know, because we talked about, and again, it's not that we, we, we don't, I, I want this to be a non-sponsored show. I think anytime you bring in sponsors, it, 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 it tends to have a corrupting effect depending on who the sponsors are and what you're, what you're covering and all that. But, you know, we talked about before how a lot of these sponsors want you to have like, uh, what is it, like 10,000 downloads per episode um, in order just to get their interest. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's for the bigger ones, the big, these big, uh, you know, brand sponsors, na- na- you know, nationwide things. I think these smaller podcasts, you can have a, a couple hundred downloads per episode. And if it's targeted enough, they'll, you can strike up a deal directly with them. But I don't want to sponsors. Um, and I've always said that this is my main point, <laughs> which I'm slowly <laughs> getting to. The people that, I think listen to us are that's those are the right people, and and I've said that, but that was always a theory to me. That's like I, whoever whoever ends up listening to us and and they've listened and they keep listening, those are the people that that I would want because they're the ones who in my like in from my view get it. They get what we're the perspective we're coming from. They may not always agree with us. In fact, I per, they probably disagree with us a lot, but they they think they listen for just you know kind of our take on things and just. Again, the idea of like throwing these arguments out there, um, being open and honest about it. There's there's a million places you can go if you want sugar coated information about Salesforce or anything else. And we, I think I'm, I'm I think I am directly 
reacting to that. This is this podcast is a reaction to the whitewashing of the Salesforce ecosystem that happens constantly. The parroting of just yeah, I mean whatever, whatever metaphor you want to be parroting, whitewashing, carrying the water. It's just and and I know it, Salesforce is a very much a vendor driven thing, and people. This is how this is how. You know, the consulting companies, they're, they're they playing are, the game. They, they you consul- can't fault them for playing no, the game. I, I, I don't fault them. I mean, because I'm part of the system too. I mean, listen, I, this is, I make my money off of this ecosystem and a lot of people are, are carrying the water and, and as a result of that, I, I, you know, I make some money. <laughs> so I'm glad someone's carrying the water. I guess they're carrying it for me if you think about it that way. That's um, true. But I'm, I don't know. On the other hand, I mean, there's people who are just down in the trenches like we are trying to get stuff done, trying to build things, trying to deliver good value for clients. And in some ways, Salesforce helps you with that, and that's great. That's why we're here, and that's why people buy Salesforce. And in some ways, it's not great. And we need to. I just want to, you know, bring some. There's nothing. There's nothing uh, like the disinfecting power of sunlight. Right. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> um. Are you ready to play ball, John? Oh, we're doing sports metaphors now. <laughs> I guess I'm out. Uh, all right. So. <laughs> Do, is there anything else you want to follow up on? I, I got a couple of quotes. Uh, Matt Matt Moore says, uh, "John John drunk talks more sense than many people I know who are sober." <laughs> oh no, wait. John when drunk talks more sense than many people I know who are sober. <laughs> Good point. I think that was a compliment, John. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I hope so because when I when I reviewed the episode, I was kind of embarrassed of myself. <laughs> people caught on to yeah to quite a bit. I can see that. I guess. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, John, you got Jay Janartharan's name right, which is a miracle considering that you couldn't say 365. <laughs> 365. I can say it now. Yeah. Office 365. Um, yeah. I can let's even see. do it. Well, hang on a second. Um, I might as well get into that. Speaking of that. I think we need to have a little bit of a speech therapy intervention here, John. Speech therapy? Yeah. For me? Yeah. So d- just in case you you weren't fully aware, I want, I want to do a, uh, a flashback. All right. You ready? Oh, God. No, I'm not ready. Office 365? Office 365? Office 365. <laughs> <laughs> You're never going to me, let me live that down, no. are you? And I think that was what four or five. I think there were about twice as more than that. I didn't get to, but um, also got got a couple of gems for the soundboard. That's gross. <laughs> uh, here's another one. I want to be a unicorn, but have wings, and I want to fly. <laughs> I don't remember saying that one. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things you probably don't remember about that episode. No, I, I remember quite a bit. I just don't remember saying that one. <laughs> I think you're blushing. <laughs> I am. <clears throat> anyway. All right. So we're going going to updates, corrections, things. Yeah. So, well, you, you mentioned documents, Office 65. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't even started yet. <laughs> it's because I'm, ta- I'm trying to talk uh, fast. Well, no, it's, it's, no it's, um, it's in your mind now. It is. Yeah. You've got a block. I do. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to say Office 365 without enunciating intentionally. Slow down. In yeah. in <laughs> All right. End of show. I can't yeah. talk. Thanks, folks. See you next week. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so on Quip, I was, I was describing Quip, and I pretty much 
relegated it to being nothing more than collaboration and spreadsheets. That it was not a good office competitor. And I still stand by that. But um, Agent Gill, Michael Gill, got on our community and said, well, it, it actually does documents. And, it, and that's true. And, and the reason I never really considered documents as one of its strong points is because it's kind of like an Evernote-style document. It's um, uh, it's a different type of document. It's kind of the, the new way of working with documents, this online live documents. It's not the traditional Word document where you know things are kind of designed for print, yeah. I guess I'll say. Okay. I, I, just, I just have this very traditional view of what a document word processor is. Okay. And with tools like Evernote and even Quip and um, what are some of these other ones? There's, there's, well, even Google Docs. Well, Google like, Docs does a better job. I mean, even comparing Google Docs to and Evernote um, to like Microsoft Word, I mean, it's not even close. Yeah. Like the, the Evernote and Google Docs are both very stripped down functionality-wise. Right. So, I mean, Quip does offer a little bit more, but <clears throat> I don't necessarily think it's a, it's a great competitor. I really think that's just the media and the news just making something big out of something small. Because I, I don't really know what the ultimate goal for that technology is going to be. And Salesforce has made a lot of acquisitions where the media is kind of black you know, put a bunch of stuff out there saying, oh, this is great. If they integrate it well and they do this, it, it, can, it can offer this and they'll be able to compete with this and nothing ever comes of it. Well, and I bet those people got a breast pass to Dreamforce. <laughs> Guarantee you they did. You're not jaded. I saw them all last year. I saw them in the press room. <laughs> Maybe they saw you and they're like, what's this guy doing here? Yeah, what the hell is this podcaster doing here? What, that's, that's legit now? <laughs> they, they, had, they had us revoked. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Podcasters. That's that's almost. I think that's below bloggers. That's like the lowest rung of, <laughs> of information. But so so I wonder. Maybe I'm not giving these tools cr enough credit. I mean, I use Evernote. I use Google Docs. But when it comes to writing a traditional, which I really don't like, I, I, I actually I enjoy writing them. But I don't think they're the right thing to do anymore. These really traditional upfront, you know, spec documents, requirement documents, design well, you, documents, you're architecture some documents. Here, though. No, not. Well, you're you're talking about whether or not you should how you should build software versus. No, 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 no. Okay, I'm okay. just saying it in in the context of I have to write this document, regardless of how you think, regardless of whether or not it's right or wrong to write this document. I am tasked with writing this document. It's a it's an architecture document, let's okay. say, and mm -hmm. it's got to have you know you know this uh, certain things you know security requirements you know I don't know UI requirements you know and anything you could think of. My default is to go to Word. And to start typing or to bring up a template and to, to start building that. Okay. Am I old? Is there now a new, better way to do this in, in a more collaborative fashion Pro with all these other tools? And maybe maybe my viewpoint of what a document editor should be is different? I was asking your opinion. Yeah. You know, I mean, when it comes to these documents, am, am I just conditioned by by the past of you know the, the past approach of how I develop and in Socialize. Uh, I hate using that word. How I kind of distribute information, Elaborate? how we communicate information as an architect or as a, you know, as, as a business analyst, and we're using these tools and we're using these templates that we're kind of tied to, married to. I mean, the thing is, in, in some cases, if you're going to be writing a document of a certain type of structure or complexity or particularly length, you need a pretty good tool for that. And Docs is, Google Docs is not always great for that. I mean, sometimes on longer documents, it just kind of just chokes. And again, it's, it's simple. If you have a simple document structure, then good Docs may be okay. 
But if it's not real simple, or if it's long, or whatever, then you might need something more powerful. Because <clears throat> Evernote and Docs probably won't cut it. Yeah. I fortunately don't hardly, I hardly ever have to do a document that's big enough and complex enough that I can't get it done in Google Docs. And, and honestly, it would have to go quite far in the direction of, okay, Word would be better for this than, than Google Docs is because I would be passing on all the collaborative features of Google Docs. Now, maybe Office 365, 365, <laughs> maybe Office 365 gives me all those features I need, plus it's got the collaborative part. I don't know. I don't, I've never used it. But you know, Docs by itself does not. Mm-hmm. I, don't know. I think it does. I, I just think, you know, a lot of times when I get tasked with this stuff, I'm handed a template that it has to fit into because there's some governance around it or some compliance around it that it has to have this doc and it has to have this re- this version number and it's got to have right. all these it sections. It has to have the SRS with the BRS and the scope yeah. statement and the vision statement. And and I've got to have like 10 different meetings about it until we go to the next step and then they change you know, everything and then we have to go through the whole process again. Was Who was it? Was it the was it um, the ACM or IEEE that... that you know, and that one was at the '90s promulgated these, basically the the table of contents, the 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 structure that, and, and all of all these things, the SRS, the BRS, mm. the F, the FRS, you know, all these things, the TDD, <laughs> whoever, no, <laughs> whoever that was, that, they should be ashamed, shameful. Yeah, so I feel we're going on a tangent, but I was just I was just curious because I, I wondered that you know if if I'm just not giving these tools enough credit because of the way. I traditionally write certain documents or if they just really aren't, haven't, you know, again, you're not supposed to write a document in Evernote. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, it's not going to cut it. But docs maybe. I mean, for those types of documents that I've seen you working on, I mean, docs might work for that. <clears throat> you know, Google Docs has basic things like it does have, you can define a style, but you know, like the fonts are really limited and I, I know with Word, I mean, you can actually get in there and do some, adjust some like kerning and line spacing and I don't know if Google Docs has all those features. I don't think it yeah. does. Well, fortunately, a lot of my customers are, they're not in that mode anymore. It's more about, well, I don't know if it's better. A lot of times I get minimal requirements and we start prototyping, we start building stuff and we iterate. And yeah, sometimes that, that can be just as stressful. It, it can be. I mean, there's no, again, no silver bullet. Uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, the Mythical Man Month guy. Arthur uh, Brooks, Fred Brooks. If you don't know what that is, people go check it out. Mythical Man Month. That's one of my, like, if you want to work with me, required reading. And it's like 30 years old now. Yeah, I think uh, 14, 15 years ago. <laughs> I think you had that book in your office and you pointed at it and said, read it. Yeah. And I think that point in time, it was the 20 or 25th anniversary of it. Maybe. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's no... There's nothing that's going to be, oh, wow, software, building software is easy now. It's always going to be hard. Not, th- not that the, and I'm talking about like um, essential complexity, not accidental complexity. So, I mean, what's hard is understanding, um, you know, trajectory of, of missiles, not, act- not, you know, coding in C++, right? I mean, yeah, there's hard things about that, but. Now what if you're coding the trajectory in the missile in C++? <laughs> Well, what's hard is what what's hard is understanding like what the all these rocket and and uh, ballistic engineers want you to do, like figuring out all that stuff is the hard part. Coding it up is shouldn't be the hard part. <clears throat> I mean, 
I would, and that definitely, I mean, it's certainly true with the type of stuff I do, which is basically business applications and enterprise software. It's, you know, cr- creating a database connection pool is not the hard part, you know. Um, writing a repository layer is not the hard part. I mean, yeah, sometimes queries get kind of messy and you're in the weeds and you got to figure something out, but usually it's not. I mean, the hard part is, I mean, what what's the other stat? It's related. And I, I'm just going to make something up here, but the, you'll get the gist. It's like 90% of software projects that fail, fail due to human issues and communication issues, not uh, technology issues. It's not because you're using a technology that couldn't get get it done. It's simply the the way the humans were collaborating and working and communicating. That's what caused the project to fail. So the human factor. <clears throat> it's always the human factor. <laughs> but I would much rather someone come to me just with an idea or at least the beginning of the process than I would them come to me and say, hey, don't worry, man. We've, we've been working on this for six months. We've got it all figured out. Here's the document. Right? True, but That's sometimes a- the process... <laughs> True. Sometimes, but sometimes the process of breaking down the requirements, at least as it's stated at the beginning, you know what the what it should look like at the end. That kind of high level. Okay. Yeah. Oh. So, so that kind of high level vision that you get. Maybe, maybe there's some requirements. Maybe it's detailed. Maybe it's not. Sometimes breaking that down and trying to at least rationalize it across the process or across all these different buckets of functionality or security requirements or just different things that you have to think about. Sometimes going through that process helps. I think it always helps, right? I, I, but I guess what I'm saying is, is a lot of times with taking smaller pieces and iterating and that kind of process, you, you, I, I feel like you have the bigger potential of stumbling along the way more often because we didn't really think something all the way through. Well, that's the fallacy. You you can't think things all the way through. You're you're talking about when you're designing every part of the system, having none of the experience of building it inform any of those parts of the system. And True. That's just, I, I, and, so here's what I'm trying to say: is is in certain situations the requirements are very light, they're very vague, and we're kind of figuring it out as we go. Which Everyone, leads, in, including the including the product owner, the business, the yes. owner of the the thing you're building, and right? things are changing, right. and we're we're going in different directions, and I I feel like at some point we're almost kind of going in circles. We've tried this, now let's try this, or we tried this, and now we've got more people involved, and those people have more ideas because we've we've take we've gotten to a point where we think we have what we need, and then we start adding more people to get their opinion, and then it just it just starts expanding and growing to a point where I'm just like I don't know how we're ever going to get this done because. I don't know what this is supposed to be anymore. It went from being this to now this big thing. And this is the hard part, right? And this is this is what that's this is what separates the the men from the boys. The women from the women from the little girls in in, in software engineering and and you know building non-trivial software. Don't you agree? That this is the hard part. Yeah, that is the hard part. I mean this is again this is not this is what's not going to show up on your certification your list of badges, right? <laughs> and it's the hard part. I mean, that's 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 a certain role that someone has because of their experience. Yeah, you know, it's not the entry level developer that's going to come in and do that stuff. It, it's someone who's got a little more experience who's going to be in that type type of process. Well, it's funny how it, it used to be the way that you have a sep- you'd have all these dedicated roles for those types of people, but now it's just 
it's like it's we've really simplified it, and I, I think it's for the better. But it's basically like, hey, put put the product owner in the team in the room with the team that's building the software, and just let them hash it out. And yes, you'll still have some people that are better analysts that have better communication skill. I'm, I mean, on like the, the team that's building the software, mm-hmm. you know, more they're you know, I don't know. I use the word architect, right? Because I think that implies you've got to be able to <clears throat> understand requirements, be able to know how to ask the right questions and all that kind of stuff. Know know when you do need to document something and know when you don't need to document something. Know how much to document, at what time, at what point in the project. This is all very hard stuff. And it's something that, this is the the part where I feel like I'm I'm always learning something new. Every time I work on a project or build something, I always learn something new about how I can tweak how I communicate, how I build things. You know, sizes of iterations, all that kind of stuff. No, no, knowing how much to how much to bite off at one time mm-hmm. to go build. <clears throat> yeah, I think I think I tend to bite off more than I should. I think I think my sprints are bigger than they should, or at least the content of the sprint is is too much. Yeah. Um, I heard this the other day, and I don't think this is new. And I wish I knew who originally said this, but uh, I, I think this particularly applies nowadays because. The business environment is changing. I think just with technology and the way the information flows, never before has business changed this fast. And this it really is, is a is a throwback to the to this idea of having like a big a document and and knowing up front. Let's say you do. Let's say you theoretically you figured out you do figure it out, which is impossible, and you get this document that tells you exactly what you need to build. The worst thing that could happen is for once you're done with that project, for you, for you to have actually built what you plan to build. You know why? Because by then, that's not what you want anymore. True. And it's, it's, isn't it, that it is the, a moving target? And isn't you, that the? And if you don't build into your process that it's a moving target, you will fail. Sure. Are, so, so from a process perspective, but what about technology perspective? I mean, is, isn't that isn't that what is making all these new tools in Salesforce valuable, or at least the idea of them? Whether I mean whether they work or not is debatable, but or arguable. Um, but isn't that what makes it? Valuable is the fact that it's not someone coding that has to do a bunch of extra work when that change happens. It's it's more configurable. It's more declarative. I don't think it matters. I, I think that the tooling, the actual nuts and bolts, don't even matter. I mean, I don't care whether it's it's Apex code or a process builder. It, it's the, it's actually the same thing. It doesn't matter. What 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 I'm talking about is understanding what the business needs at the time, and when you start the project. And when you end the project, the business needs probably, if probably moved, right? Not only that, it's not just your understanding of the need. That that's one thing. People's shared understanding of what the business need is will evolve over time. At the beginning of the project, you have a document, or or, or maybe it's a, a more of an agile thing, a light documentation, whatever. But still, there's a shared understanding, which is not a perfect shared understanding. But that will improve over time as you build the project, which is why you shouldn't try to do a big upfront thing. But, but that's a separate idea than the idea that the actual business need, not how it's understood in people's minds, but the actual business need, that itself will also change over time. And like, that's why I say the worst thing that can happen is if, if for you to have successfully built in the end what you intended to build at the beginning. Because what you intended at the beginning, by the time you get to the end, is no longer exactly what you need anymore. Hopefully, oh. hopefully you you reacted to that moving target because it is a moving target. 
Yeah, I, I mean, depending on the complexity, if something could be simple enough that it, it is what it is. It, yeah, if this is a two-week project, then sure, I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a six-month to, to you know, multi-year project. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, but I mean, kind of drawing that back to, to how we document things and how we collect and share information, you know, all these tools that offer collaboration, are, are they really solving that problem? Are they really, are they really injecting themselves in a way that, that facilitates this type of communication? Or is it just kind of... What kind of give me an example of the tool you're talking about. Well, let, let's say I have these requirements. And we put them in a document so that everyone can understand what we're trying to build day one. Okay. And then, you know, as we review what we built and then we start figuring out what we're going to build next, we modify that document and start adding more stuff. Okay. And we just keep that, it's just that living document that moves throughout the entire process. Okay. With the idea that at the end of it, your document says what you did. Is that a valuable exercise? Is that something this, this these type of tools like Quip, like Google Docs, like... Office 365, you know, is, is is that how we should be using these tools? I mean, if, if that's your goal, I mean, I think I think those tools help with that. Um, but I think that's a bad goal because you'll never end up with a document that actually says what you built. It will be inaccurate. That's also why like, excessive code commenting I'm always against because it's such a liability. It's almost always not going to be updated correctly as the software changes. <clears throat> True. Anyway, I mean, we could, these are, I think we just, we've listed like seven things that, again, one of these things that I could do, we could put, I could do a whole episode dedicated to each little thing. <laughs> um, All right, well, we'll anyway, I don't even know how, that, that was not even a planned topic. That was kind of cool though. Um, surf Force. Surf Force. That's right. Wish I surf had Force some, happened this last week. I need some surf music. I, I was hoping to, I was hoping to clip some video, but I, I didn't get to it in time. That was my bad. Uh, oh, there was video. Yeah, there was some some video on Facebook, some live stuff. I heard but, about that, but I didn't. I never saw anything. Well, I think Sean supposed, is putting together something else okay. other than that. So yeah, he's uh, speaking to Sean. He's been kind of MIA. I haven't heard from him him in a while. Well, he's been busy organizing. I guess so. <laughs> so he's been busy event. surfing. <laughs> but yeah, it looked it looked pretty good. It looked like a lot of fun. It was nice to see our our logo on the towels. That was nice. Yeah, that's fun. Yep, that's cool. <laughs> We're famous. We're famous. <laughs> you can wipe your butt with our logo. <laughs> I walked into a place the other day, had my Good Day Sir shirt on, and, and, and this guy says, I recognize that shirt. It's like, oh, okay. I don't know how, but. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Hey, we do have people like in the wild wearing our shirts, you know? We do. But yeah. Anyway. Oh, that reminds me. Okay. You were supposed to remind me of this a long time ago. I think I think I did do this shout out. I've been meaning to do this shout out for a long time. I think I did do it, and we lost it on some audio because I can't find it. I thought we did. Okay, but I've been meaning to do a shout out to my nephew JJ. Um, he's a uh, he's, Joey. No, different, different. Okay, different nephew. Okay, oh, jo- he's, not, he's not your nephew. That's right, he's your brother. Sorry, Getting my siblings and <laughs> no, nephews no. confused. You don't exactly have a small family. Okay. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I can say it because I'm Mexican, right? <laughs> I think that is a free pass card. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I'm Mexican. But we I have big know. families. <laughs> I did. I did revoke your Mexican card for a while because you don't like onions and a lot of other things that I think oh, Mexicans should like. We shouldn't that. get into that. No, though. let's not get into the onion topic. <laughs> I like onions. It just has to be cooked a certain way. End of story. We'll leave it at that. Anyways, so my nephew, he's he's in the Maritime Academy. He's out in Galveston, Texas. And um, one thing he's, he does is he has a long drive to get from there to here when he comes back in town. And he always listens to our podcast to and from. 
Um, so he's, he's been a great listener and everything. And just want to say, what's up? He should be coming back. He's been on a intern voyage. I, th- I think it's like an internship, but he basically, he's studying to go onto these ships, these, these ships that transport things across the sea. So these trade merchant ships. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Yeah. These huge, gigantic things. Right. And so <clears throat> container ships, so he's been I guess. doing that for the last two months and he'll be back. Cool. Excited. Um, minor thing, but kind of interesting to see that Procter and Gamble. I think it was Procter and Gamble. I could be wrong, actually. Now that I think about it, decided that Facebook advertising is useless, not effective. Really? Because from my understanding, Facebook is the only one that in social media that's actually killing it when it comes to advertising. I've I've heard the same thing. I've heard many, so many people say to me, "We completely quit our Google AdWords because Google AdWords is so expensive." I mean, you're bidding against. Well, that and Twitter's not making a dent. Twitter's just not doing it. Effectiveness of advertising or just effectiveness, effectiveness of for yeah. Twitter actually making money? Which, I think both. Yeah, they're kind of related. Yeah. I, yeah. Exactly. I mean, if, Twitter, if, if it was effective, they'd make money. Exactly. <laughs> a lot more people would want to do it. <laughs> no, I've heard a lot of people say, yeah, we, we quit AdWords and we do Facebook now. We, have, we use half the budget and we're getting four times more response. So, is that you again? Oh, my phone's not on. Do not disturb. I guess I should set my computer on Do Not Disturb as well. All right, so you were helping me with this thing earlier. Oh, yeah, that weird thing. Sharing problem, which I, I think I discovered a bug. Do you think I did? I think you discovered a bug. Yeah, and it's a security bug in Salesforce. It's a big security bug. Um, but anyway, I'm digging around, and I'm in the sharing settings, I guess, under setup. <clears throat> and you said, well, because you tell me, he's like, hey, why don't you recalculate sharing? I was like, wait a minute. I, and I'm like, that's right. That is a thing. But then, do you not hear this phone? Mm-hmm. This, that's a ridiculous phone. What does it have a subwoofer, subwoofer hooked up to it? It's like that old-timey ringy phone. It's, it's so loud. <laughs> I can feel it vibrating through the walls. <laughs> anyway, we, we have a studio here, people. We're trying to record a podcast. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, this is weird. Like, I've defined my my org-wide sharing rules. I've defined my um, or sharing settings, sharing rules. I've defined my profiles. All this kind of, Your org-wide wait, wait, settings. Why would I need to recalculate settings? That, that to me implies that there's a chance it, it's possible that what I have specified as a security model is not what Salesforce is currently enforcing. Sometimes there's a lag, I like think. Like there's a difference between... I, I, it's been a while since I messed with it, but... Uh, so I, I went through and confirmed everything you were doing was correct. But in terms of the recalculating stuff, I have worked in org, orgs that were gigantic. There's a there's a bunch of manual shares. There's a bunch of you know sharing rules. There's just all these things that that are almost conflicting, um, or just take a long time to process. And so sometimes recalculating would take a long time if you infused a bunch of new stuff and new rules. Well, how long it takes is is not the point to me. The point is. What I have specified for security is not what is is different. There's a gap between what I've specified and what Salesforce is currently enforcing in my org. I don't think the gap is normal. I think the gap that I experienced or I've seen previously. But was I mean, I'm saying if there wasn't drivers. a gap, that button wouldn't be there. There should be no reason that, to that's true. Recalculate I mean, the, the button's sharing there rules. for a reason because there potentially could be a gap in, in the time it processes the sharing rules. Yeah. Um. Which is an interesting topic. I always, I always like to speculate about Salesforce's implementation of things. But one thing you got to give them credit on, this is amazing, the fact that you can say, for example, data load 
opportunities where there's a bunch of sharing roles. Of course, the more sharing roles and things and obviously triggers. It so it gets, yeah. But still, you can like you can slam in like I don't know fifty thousand, hundred thousand records an hour or whatever with it applying all sharing roles and everything. Um. Oh, you you find that amazing? Well, no, don't you? I do. I just wish I had some clips of you saying the fact that you can't import a million records at a time. That's bogus. I could do that with a SQL database right now. I've never made that argument. <laughs> yes, you have. No, I haven't. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and find it. I've, I've complained that you can't load data into Salesforce fast enough. Yeah. I've never argued that. I'm pretty sure you have. No, because they're the fastest in the business. I would never make that argument. Okay. And I totally understand that loading raw data into the database is not the same thing as going through Salesforce's API. So, True. I mean, if you have, I'd like to hear it. Or if you think I've said that, I'd like to hear it, but... Okay, well, either, let's take your recent argument on storage. The storage cost. Right. You'll rail on that, but you won't consider the, all the different layers and everything that it's going through and the infrastructure to support that. Yes, but just because I'm storing more data doesn't mean I'm using more of any of that infrastructure. It kind of does because it takes more resources to, sure to process all of that sure data does through the sharing rules. I can have the basic one gig out of the box data with Salesforce, and I can use the shit bit of it. But it's not. I, a- I can, John. I can use every single one of those hundred thousand API calls per twenty four hours and slam their all these layers. You're talking about the security layers, the whatever. I can slam them constantly, all the time. I can also have like I've got clients that have fifty gig in Salesforce and hardly use any of that. There is. What you're saying is there must be a correlation between how much data you've got stored at rest versus how much you're using, how, how much activity you have. And they're completely different I'm things. That correlation exists because that's Salesforce's is, business model. But that's bullshit correlation. There's no correlation there. Uh, it's a correla- It's correlated to their business model, their subscription model. They no. charge per user. They charge per data because that's how they manage and and spread the cost well, of their infrastructure and this gets into, across this, all the licenses. This gets into Salesforce doesn't charge you for what you use. No, they don't. And that's that's in, the in multi fact, that's the multi-tenant model. No, that's Salesforce's model. Well, don't, it's, don't, it's, don't blame that on multi-tenant. Don't blame that on multi-tenant. Multi-tenant has nothing to do with it. You can have multi-tenant and charge people for what they actually use. True. Okay, it's Salesforce's multi-tenant model that like every other <laughs> cloud provider in the world, they charge you for your actual storage, your actual network usage, your actual CPU usage, your actual amount of memory you have. Salesforce, no. You, they charge you per named seats. Oh, you, you might have a thousand community users? Well, here, buy a thousand community license. Oh, they don't ever log in? Ha, sorry! <laughs> <laughs> That's why database.com failed. It was based on that number of users and who, who the hell can do that? Who can build software on that? That's, yeah, a, that's, a, that's a deal breaker. The, the pricing model is, is the issue on, on a lot of things when it comes to Salesforce data. You know what it reminds me of? activities. So your argument. and the, the, <laughs> My argument? No, your, your argument that because I need to store 50 gig at rest, which I'm, I might have one user license that, that I just, you know, I'll, I use Salesforce a couple hours a day. So I'm using very little. That, that's the same argument that my water, my municipal water supply has. They charge your, your okay, I have a water fee mm-hmm. uh, based on like how many thousands of gallons of water you use, right? And I have a, a sewage fee, which is they're charging me basically how much water they think is going down my pipes. Right? And if you use 30,000 gallons of water, you're going to get charged for 30,000 gallons of sewage. I'm like, wait a minute. 25,000 of those gallons went into my yard, not down the sewer. I didn't flush my, I didn't flush my toilet 30,000 gallons worth of flushes. <laughs> Charge me for what I'm using. 
anyway i'm just it's 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 the algorithm they use it's the metric that they use to to well you they have to charge you based on something and they sure as hell don't charge you on actual usage what they do is they charge you again based on named or or, or numbered license of seats right I'm not trying to justify and, and, the model, and, but then then what they do is they they limit you because here's here's Salesforce's problem. You know, gosh, it's like I'm drinking whiskey now. Salesforce's problem is they don't charge you based on what you use. So what they have to do is limit what you use. That's why I always say the biggest problem. One of the biggest problems is you can't buy your way out of the limits. No, well you can. You just suck because they don't charge no, based can. on limits. If they would yeah. if they would bill you based on what you actually use, and they'd say, hey. Use more because we're going to bill you more. That's how we make money. But that's the problem. That's not how Salesforce makes money. They make money. It's like it's like the they, they're like the gift card industry. The, the, people love selling you gift cards. You know why? Because half of them don't get used, and that turns into free money. What's uh? I won't name the guy, but we used to work for. He used to call that breakage. Do you remember that? Yeah, I mean, there's a certain year that I mean, there's a certain expiration, and that's the way Salesforce works. You look at how many companies have all these licenses don't even use them. And in Salesforce, because it's because it's multi-tenant, and they don't dedicate any, you have no dedicated hardware or dedica- even dedicated performance at all. You, you just cost them nothing, nothing at all. They dedicated nothing to you, and they made all that money. You make it sound like like their model is killing it. It is absolutely my dream, and I'm dedicated to being the fastest to ten billion. Look at the deferred revenue number. <laughs> I, I the, wish the, they the would. Why, why isn't their profit margin higher? Why, why is their, their well, marketing they're, they're, and, and sales costs still so high? Why do they still have to acquire and grow so much? Well, okay, so you have to, we have to drill down on what you're talking about here. Their gross profit margin is like about 75%. That's because the cost of actually running Salesforce, data centers, all these engineers and everything that run Salesforce, mm-hmm is very small compared to the amount of money that Salesforce makes off of it. 75% gross profit margin. But the cost of selling it and the cost of bringing in you two to your big uh, <laughs> ego trip party is extremely oh. expensive. The cost of shutting down San Francisco for a week is extremely expensive. I feel like every point you're making, you have to slide in some kind of jab about no, Dreamforce. No, you asked me. No, but that's a, <laughs> that, what do you, you, you think there's a bigger item on their expense sheet than Dreamforce? I, they don't atomize it, so I don't know what no, it costs. No, they don't. But it's under sales and marketing. Or at least SG&A. But I mean, back to the point. I'm not trying to justify the model. I'm just saying they don't translate bits into a dollar amount well, because they, they have this 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 inf- the infrastructure, the application that sits on top of that that goes through all that. And I'm just saying that's how, that's how they justify that cost. I, I hear what you're saying. Yes. I just think, I just think we're making different points. Yeah, I was trying to make the point that you, you seem to be okay with the no, amount of data that you, they're able to I put think, through and process. Although I think I've heard you make the argument that that in any, any other system you can process data, larger quantities of data, and much quicker than what Salesforce can. And that gets back to the fact that you don't have dedicated, dedicated hardware. You don't have dedicated resources. You are limited on how much information you can push at any given point in time. Or to me, what the, it's much more costly. I mean, because nowadays, what people always say is like, you know, buy your developers really good hardware and, and the fastest machines because the hardware's cheap. What's expensive is software engineers. I've heard the opposite. We're we're huh? <laughs> I've I've actually heard people make the case that your developers should be on the crappiest machine because if it'll work for them, it'll work on your users who have much better machines. Well, that person doesn't understand. Has not I looked know, at the, has saying. not looked at the payroll for the software engineering department because we're expensive, right? <laughs> 
I've, I've heard people say that. Well, that's actually. I think I've read something on that too. Well, I listen to smart people. You listen to idiots. Then that's just. I'm, that's, not, I'm, just, I'm just saying that's a very obviously that's a <laughs> you understand that's extremely short right? Yeah. I'm making fun of it. I'm laughing at it. No, you don't want developers sitting around waiting. They they no. they cost. I mean, look at look at. I mean, look again. Look at real cloud providers. I mean, look at and look at what's look at what computing costs. It's it's, it's a no brainer. Just get the get the fastest computing you can get because it's cheap. I mean, this commodity hardware is it's incredibly cheap nowadays. All right, let's pop the stack because we went we went way down into the rat hole. All right, because you you were just trying to compliment the API because you were trying to get talk about sharing rules and and the fact that it is able to process that and. You were trying to compliment them, and I made you. Well, then I'm just. I mean, I, I think my point, if we really want to pop the stack, is just the the disturbing fact that your de- security model you've defined is it's quite possibly not what Salesforce is currently enforcing. And there's no there's no way. Here's the other thing. There's no way I know of to actually check to see if that's the case. What are you supposed to do? Click. I mean, wh- and if I, I really feel sorry for people who are um, what's it, o- like a little OCD. How many people do you think log in every morning and click recalculate sharing rules on every different object they have? No, I don't think that's the case. I don't. I don't think that's the function of recalculate. Recalculate has a very specific function, and unfortunately, it's been years since I've had to deal with okay. that. You know. Okay. Let's. So let's drill down because what I wanted to. Now that we popped up, I want to pop right back down. What What I wanted to talk about was how Salesforce implements security. Okay. Let's okay. go there. And this is where I kind of speculate, but I kind of also know that this is based in fact. The way that the the yeah no it is but figure, it figure that one out. Um, the way that Salesforce is able to ac- accomplish pretty damn good speed. I mean, again, slamming th- tens hundred or th- hundreds of thousands of records per hour while enforcing sharing rules is because the way they implement security is it's a record. Uh, it's it's data. I don't mean Salesforce. Right? I mean like database record based. So, for example, for any given account record you have in Salesforce, there's a table, a, a security table, that's basically got a record for every user who has and, and, and what their access level is to that record. Okay? And those records are popular. Sharing those security records are populated by a combination of all your different sharing rules and things. And it's constantly kept in the sync. That's why if you make a, ma- a, a change to a major sharing rule in Salesforce, it tells you, hey, this might take a while. We'll email you when it's done, right? Because it's having to go through and delete all the existing sharing records and process those sharing rules against all your all all your data records and recreate all these security records. But the but the benefit is because we're in relational database land and we have indexes, that's why you can slam records into Salesforce with the security model turned on because they're doing joins, right? It's basically it has to do a lookup to the record, but it's but it's joining against the security table. Which right. is incredibly fast. You're, they're outsourcing it to Oracle. That's why it's so fast. I agree. But the problem is, so so we've again, so we now we've got a model in a database of all of our data records with related joint tables of all the security records. Who has access to all those things? Because those are just sitting on disk. It's not evaluated when you when you go to a URL in Salesforce of a certain record. It's not applying all these sharing rules in real time to figure out whether you have access. It's just joining against that security table because it's that calculation has already been done. It's much faster, right? But because that state is sitting on the database, there's a chance that something has gotten out of whack. And until you tell it, recalculate sharing rules, it's going to keep using what's in those security tables in Oracle. Sure. I mean, there's evidence of that in just about everything they do in terms of the way they cache information to help improve performance. It's not new with Lightning, that's for sure. 
But um, you remember that there was a point in time where um, searching had had a major lag in it. Like you would l- migrate or load a bunch of records, import a bunch of records, and they weren't they weren't you couldn't search for them. You could go to them by ID, but you couldn't search. That was because there was a lag in the indexing. Um, the queries. If you if you query a table that's that's really large, it might time out and fail, and you could click resend that query, and it after two or three retries, it'll come back and it'll come back fast. Yeah, a lot of that could be Oracle related. Like you know, once you've because Oracle is going to keep a lot of, once things are pulled off a of disk, it's going to keep depending on the caching setting, it's going to keep things in memory. So. No, well, they they have to kind of shuffle that into kind of some kind of temp temp area because you have the 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 paging. You have, you have the ability to query through the cursor or through the the data set. Well, that yeah, when you when you issue a query and you get a query locator thing, right. they keep that query locator on disk in, in Oracle. Um and that they, they, they do go through and purge those after a, a couple hours, was it an hour, a couple hours something like that? But that all is kept on disk so they don't because they, you don't you don't want to keep an open database cursor in memory for people right. for people making soap calls over the internet. But what would be cool though, because you did have to match you did have to send, issue that query and match all those records. Write all those IDs to disk. And assign them to your query locator. That's what they do. I'm just saying. Yeah. Tricks of the trade, I guess. Yep. <laughs> and if uh yeah, and if anyone works for Salesforce, Salesforce engineer, and you know that we're wrong about any of this, let us know. Or if you uh, care to share more on it. But that's my story and I'm sticking to it. All right. So we never talked about the issue, the actual issue that you had with with sharing. Well, and again, I, this is not confirmed, so I don't want to say it's a Salesforce bug. Do we even should we even talk about it? I, I don't. I don't want to. Um, Someone might have seen it. I don't want to. Might have. I don't want to get sued for slandering Salesforce here. Oh come on! <laughs> I think we're way past that. I don't know. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Now seriously, I don't want. I don't want to accuse them of something that I don't know for a fact is true. But should we even go into it then? I think people want to know. Well, that doesn't mean they. That doesn't mean that I should go out on a limb and tell them. You had an issue. You're not sure whether it's a bug or or what's yeah. causing it. It's an odd issue. It is, and it, odd. And it is a pot- potential security issue, and you haven't solved for it yet. So maybe someone will listen to this podcast and go, "Oh, I know how to fix that." Yeah. So okay, I guess in a nutshell, what it is is for portal or community users. I found kind of an edge case where, let's say, you query accounts. I'm just going to say accounts. Um, that qu- and you're doing it in the context of the logged in user. And let's say it's a that's let's say it's in an Apex page controller. Okay, mm-hmm. you do just a plain old query on accounts, and your controller is with sharing, so it should be enforcing the sharing rules, right? That query in in this particular scenario, which I'm not going to say because I, I actually don't want to give this sure. potential bug away and, until Salesforce right. has a chance to confirm it or not, but can return. Records that the user doesn't have access to. In fact, if you take the idea of one of those return records and attempt to go to that record uh, through just standard Salesforce UI as that user, you get you can't even you don't even have read access to it. Insufficient privileges. And I showed you because I, I mean I spent a couple hours on this this morning thinking what, what am I, you know because sure it, you know you know how it is every time you think oh you know Salesforce is wrong or .NET there's a bug I found a bug in .NET it's. 99.99% of the time, it's actually something you're doing wrong, right? Right. <laughs> and so that's my assumptions. I, I got to figure out what I'm doing wrong here. But then I showed you, and we walked you through the whole thing. We, we went through the entire security model, and we couldn't figure, we, you and I both together couldn't figure it out. Right. 
And it was weird. It is weird. That that record should not have showed up. I also could not produce it in other orgs or in, an, or, uh, in the sandbox, in one of the sandboxes. Right. This was happening in production. Yep. Which is kind of disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the disturbing part is, is not some, well, it's the fact that you can't reproduce it because then you're just, you're, you're out of luck. You're, how, how do I, how do I tweak, you know, how do I make changes or tweak something to see if that resolves it? Yeah. Without messing around in production, which a lot of it you can't because it's, it's a controller. Well, and that's how we got into also to the recalculate sharing rules because you're like, hey, well, to recalculate sharing rules, I'm like, what? Why should I have to do that? That's, and then I'm like, God, I forgot that's a thing. Like recalculating thing. sharing rules is a thing, unfortunately. <laughs> that's why they bury it. You have to really, you have, not only do you have to go to the sharing, that sharing page, but you have to scroll down to the bottom. And then you start seeing all those recalculate sharing buttons. <laughs> it's like, how often, and in fact, here's what it says. Recalculate only if your sharing rules updates have failed or they're not working as expected. I'm like, what? Huh? What? Wait, stop. What? We're off. <laughs> Wait, wrong. Wrong screen. <laughs> what? My sharing <laughs> rules, they, 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 they might not be working. This is a possibility. Then it says, sharing rules are automatically recalculated when you save your changes. Okay, well then, are you, then that kind of tell me I, I don't have to recalculate. If they're automatically recalculated when I save changes, what? Yeah. Why would you even give me this option? I mean, it doesn't, the messaging is, is, is very uh, sketchy, I'll say. I, I think it's there to solve for some, some rare edge cases of you know, massive amounts of sharing rules, massive amounts of records, and it, for some reason, it just gets out of sync. Yeah, that's what we call a bug. <laughs> if your security system gets out of sync, that's a bug. Oh. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, Winter 17 release notes were accidentally released for, for a few minutes. Did you see that? I did. Um, um, I, I saw a copy. Of, I actually have a copy of that, of that PDF. Yeah, so, yeah. so, before anyone gets excited and think, oh, they released it but pulled it back because they, there's something that well, they weren't supposed to talk about juicy. until Dreamforce. And Matt Morris is like, it had Apex namespaces. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I read it, and um, it's a fairly incomplete document. There's a bunch of sections that have TBDs in them. I think I saw references to Winter 16 and Summer 16 in it, yeah. and so it it's nothing to be trusted. I wouldn't even bother reading it. They f- they forgot to recalculate the sharing rules. They did. <laughs> <laughs> Recalculating sharing rules. Yeah, uh, yeah. I did get I did get excited because it did say namespace in there, but then I realized though that was that's the 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 package namespace. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, <clears throat> I see uh, David Litton posted the URL if you want to sign up to get a pre-release org. I don't know if those are available yet. Do they, do they, can you get the orgs before the documentation is available? Is that a thing? Yeah, he, like, he was in it. Like, okay. He signed up and he was in it. I, he noticed, uh, I mean, he had a few comments on it um, in the community of what he was experiencing, but that's weird. The environment, and I don't, has, that ever, has that ever been a thing? That you got, you can sign up for a pre-release org before they even start releasing the notes, and I, I guess, I, yeah, I, actually, I don't know. I know. I have a uh, quick PSA, which uh, I think this, this may be a, an American thing. What do they? It's stand for public service announcement, right? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, your web to case and web to lead forms are going to need to be updated for Winter Seventeen because Salesforce is changing the domain it goes to. Hmm. And I think it's and in fact it's kind of a cool. It's going to be like web two dot salesforce as in to web to dot salesforce dot com. Right. But apparently they're not. It's not like a phasing thing. Like if you don't update them, they will stop working. 
Hmm. I know. Anyway, there's a there's a thing in the help, like a knowledge article, and we will put that in the show notes. But I just wanted everyone to know. <laughs> um. All right. Uh, I have an update on uh, my JavaScript issue. Okay. So I I think last time we talked about uh, my not being able to execute JavaScript commands from the JavaScript console in Chrome. And I speculated that it was a a bug with the latest update because that's when it started happening to me. And then some other people kind of chimed in and said that they were experiencing it as well. So then I started to um, speculate that maybe it was a Salesforce thing. But then it didn't make sense because it was only happening in Chrome and not other environments. Um, And then um, Ben Hubbard chimed in and said he'd, he'd experienced the same thing. He did some research and found that it likely is a bug with the version 52 of Chrome and that the version 53 which should be coming out or is out, should address that. So I think they would just patch that in real quick. Well, I think it. I think that's what they're doing. <clears throat> so it's kind of weird, though. It, it happened. It don't, we found out that it only happens if you have the Salesforce header on. Because I had other pages that didn't have the header, and I was able to actually what get header? it to work. The Salesforce header, the header that has the logo. How do you not have that on? Well, I have pages that don't use the header. The Salesforce header with the tabs and the logos in Salesforce when you create a Visual Force page. Oh, a Visual Force. Okay, gotcha. This yeah. this is related to Visual Force pages, or is it exclusive? To well, it's related to Salesforce because I, I could go to another website and run my run commands in the console and it worked fine. I'd go to Salesforce and it wouldn't work. So if you're using Chrome and you're using Salesforce, you can't get a console. At least not in version 52 when the version gets updated. That's or patched, weird. Surely that affected fix. things besides Salesforce. Well, it only affected it. It it affected it because of some error that was being thrown. And that that apparently caused this bug to happen in the console. So it, it's it's some error that has to happen. And so that header is actually generating an error. Yeah. Which, it, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's good or bad that we're seeing so many errors in the console. I mean, I'm, I've gotten used to seeing them. But there's there's a lot of just various errors that will pop up in the console from Salesforce in yeah, classic I mean, you, mode and in lightning mode. If you, if you don't have the stomach for seeing how the sausage is made, don't look at the console. <laughs> <clears throat> or you know, even I mean, it's oh, the the lightning console, oh, it dumps. I, I don't, I don't know if I, I think it's still in production too. It dumps into the console. I mean, that's just good. just all kinds of. Or do you ever open up like on the Mac? Look, open up your console and just look at all the crap that's constantly yeah. failing, constantly failing. It's, it's not, well, no, it's not even fails. It's just logs. It's just log statements well, that are going to the console. It's log, usually logging because something's not working right. No, I mean, no, and I'm saying if in your Mac console. Mm. You will see stuff that's constantly like things are not working the way they're supposed to working. I mean, it may not be a fatal error, but you know. Yeah, things. I mean, I expect errors. I expect you know warning messages. I expect you know little debug statements. But this is like normal operations. Like it it it, it logs that it's caching something, or it's it's logging you know the caching routines, or when really? it returns an object. That's, oh, that's like debugging stuff, right? It is. Okay. It's stuff that I think is <clears throat> probably shouldn't be bubbling up, but it is. No, it's lightning. It's what's what's before beta. It's it's alpha software basically. Yeah. So. Um, um, but that, that led me to something hmm. that I want to talk about, if that's okay. Yep. If you'll allow me. Uh, just this one time. Just this one time, if I can find it. Oh, so one of the things I thought Salesforce might be doing, which it turns out they're not, was disabling JavaScript console for their website, meaning you wouldn't be able to do any commands in it. Yeah, I, I didn't think that for a second. That's crazy. Crazy talk. Well, it's, it's not crazy for Netflix and uh, Facebook. 
That I believe. It'd be crazy for Salesforce, though, for, because people develop software on top of Salesforce. So, so what, Facebook and I, I should see why they would do that. I think that's lame. Really, does Facebook need people need to disable the console? What do we mean by the console? The developer tool, the JavaScript console. So what 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 doesn't? If you go to Facebook and open up your console, what doesn't work? You can't run any commands in the console. It's kind of what this bug that we saw with really, like you can't yeah. say alert hi. No, really, you can't say one plus one. How do they? How would you do? How do they disable that? How's that even possible? They override the object because it's JavaScript. They override what object? What object? The console object. I'm not talking about the console object. I know they can override that. That doesn't mean I can't do alert hi. I don't. Uh, you see maybe, what I'm maybe you can. But either way, some some. The, Hell, until recently, I didn't even have a console object. You could, you could. There was still the console though. You could still execute JavaScript. There just was no console object in memory. So here, here's the statement that was made. The decision was initially made by Facebook to prevent users from executing a specific set of commands which would expose user information via the JavaScript console. So they're doing it in the interest of security. Well, this, this is the problem Salesforce has with the, and then the lightning locker, right? Whatever. The lockbox. One of the keys to the lockbox would be kept by the president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean... I don't know. What, what's your opinion on that? What's your opinion on dis- on kind of neutering these tools that we use? Well, I mean, I think disabling the console is security theater. If if you can expose the security problem, um, well, I mean, a lot a lot more applications are are what we're calling single page applications that they're built on AJAX scripts and everything else. And uh, you know, obviously, there's ways to kind of scope your your me- functions and methods. So you're not exposing anything, but well, the browsers already do things like all the cross-domain right. stuff, right? That's that's that a lot of that is a, all around um, preventing JavaScript from one domain doing things on to uh, at another domain. True, but I think the issue is that in a JavaScript file, you could have a set of APIs in that, and they're accessible because you should be able to click on them in certain contexts to do that. And as long as if you walk up to someone's machine and you can, well, you don't need JavaScript to, to breach security. If you walk up to someone's machine, I'm trying trying to think. I'm trying to think through the scenario of is that the scenario that they're trying to solve for? Is someone could come in and just execute a bunch of JavaScript commands and now they see it, or or there's some browser plugin or something that's able to execute commands? I think the bigger problem is someone just walked up to your computer when you're logged in and you didn't know about it. (laughs) I'm just trying to figure out the scenario where where this makes sense. I don't ask me because I do not understand it. So, um, hmm. So uh, there, I saw something. It was a. Uh, I think I posted to Slack channel, and it was uh, it was about Mark Benioff, and the, the title was "Why This Mobile First CEO Holds Device Free Meetings," and that immediately reminded me of um, that was an article title, or that was uh, yeah, your yeah, comment? yeah, article title, huh. and it, re- it immediately reminded me of what is it? What does Benioff say? Um. He's uh, he, he runs his business from his uh, watch or from his phone. It was a phone for the longest time. Now it's his watch. That, Which, that's a weird heading, though. I mean, but, what well, d- device-free meetings has nothing to do with mobile first. Well, it's they, it would seem to be at odds with each other, right? Why? I want to have a meeting where no one's distracted by their phones. No one's trying to Facebook while I'm trying to conduct a meeting. Yeah. But anyway, um, I saw that a couple of days ago, and then the other day I'm listening to. Uh, your your uh, man crush, um, along with uh, Merlin Mann, talking about how Tim Cook has been saying apparently, I guess that he doesn't uh, take he doesn't take his laptop with him when he travels, even on business meetings. 
Hmm. So this is what Merlin had to say about that. I like Tim Cook a lot, but I remember hearing that and going like, bullshit. Right. Like, no way. Right. You're, there's no way a C-level executive doesn't take a laptop when he travels or, or, or has, you know, his Katie Cotton is carrying it for him. Right. Like, that's just, that's, in, that's disingenuous. That's a good word for it. It's disingenuous to say you run your bit as I'm sorry of any company. If you are in any kind of management or whatever, just just to say that you run your business from your phone or even your watch, which is obviously 10 times even more absurd than that is ridiculous. Does, does Mark Benioff have access to a better Salesforce one than I do? Maybe he might. (laughs) He's he's on version. But if he did, he's on on winter 18 right now. But if he did, surely he'd be trying to sell that to people. So it's, it's kind of hard to believe, but. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the the role of a CEO, especially for a larger company, and you have a bunch of other C-level people helping you out. I mean, is your role really, I mean, what, what do you, what do you need to do? What kind of accounting engineering can you get done on a, on a phone, John? That you need some powerful, uh, you know, you know what he he just needs to call up his C, his (laughs) C, what a CFO and say, okay, what what are we doing? We got this, this call coming up (laughs) next week (laughs) or two weeks. No, you make a good point. I mean, Mark Benioff's job is basically talking to people. Right. Maybe some texting here and there. And I mean, do you you even even think he does email? Probably not. Yeah, he might not. He, he his his executive he, assistant probably. He is all about the millennials, and millennials do not even understand what email is. Well, I'm, I'm, well, just, I'm told that's what I'm told. I'm just saying, if someone else probably reads his email and lets him know stuff he needs to respond yeah, to. Oh, you can email him, CEO at Salesforce. I'm, you know what? I, I take that back. I know he reads every single one of those emails and replies to them himself personally. CEO at Salesforce dot com. <laughs> you know that for a fact. <laughs> no. Oh, John. Okay. What? I'm gullible. Oh, no, my bad jokes are lost on you. Um, <clears throat> all right. Well, so let's see. We have, we have a lot of stuff. Um, that's a lot of follow-up. Why do we do so much follow-up? Just, it was, I don't know. This was a weird week. Last episode was a weird episode, but we need, we need to talk about Salesforce's performance as a company here because, you know, they're on this whole week of their stock's been dropping. They've gone from eighties. Now they're like, you know, they're down like, what is it? I don't know. Say five or 6%. And, and there was some news a couple of days ago that precipitated all this. Um, one of these analyst firms. And again, there's a lot of these analyst firms and I, I hear of them mention, but you have to basically be um, one of their, you know, multi-millionaire clients to, to get these, these research reports they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, these firms will do a research report and it literally gets sent to like 1,200 people privately and that's it. It doesn't go on. It's, it, never, it never makes a light of day. But I mean, how, uh, these, these are research on, on past numbers though, because the numbers for no, this no. quarter haven't been released, no, right? on upcoming numbers. So we'll we'll get into that, but I want to back up a few weeks ago <laughs> when I told you, you know, it's I, I I saw that Salesforce is has announced that they're going to be releasing their it's Q two for them right Q two earnings because their quarter starts a month later than everyone else's. They're going to announce their Q two earnings on August thirtieth, which is basically like by the SEC rules the latest date they could. And I, th- and I don't think they usually do that. And I don't pay that close of attention. But I just, you know, based on my, you know, old man's memory, I, I don't remember them waiting that. Usually they're excited, you know. It's an amazing quarter and they want everyone to know about it, you know. Right. So, and I, but I asked you, I was like, does that seem a little weird? Like, you know, is there some bad news that they want to wait until they can? It would seem that if you're waiting for the last minute to, to produce something, you know. So the news was uh, software as a service provider, salesforce.com, 
fell, their stock fell Monday after getting a downgrade in cautious comments in two separate research reports that both cited weakness in the sales channel. Um, separately, Salesforce said early Monday that it had delayed its earnings report for its fiscal Q2, which ended on July 31st, to August 31st after market close. So it was August 30th. Now it's they've bumped it back to August 31st, which I think is that's that is the drop dead last day. Hmm. Uh, you know, the results were previously due to the 29th, and the company said they had to, <laughs> had to delay due to a scheduling conflict. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my God. That's great. Oh, um, so does that mean we're not recording that week until Thursday? I don't know. I mean, usually, I you should, like, punt on the episode until you get a chance We've to... We've done that before. We've actually yeah. delayed recording because I want to get the... But the, it, it's gotten so boring. In fact, that's one thing that people... Salesforce has been so consistent at, you know, the beat and raise, beat and raise, basically... You, they, you never know. He might take another jab at, at uh, Ellison in there. And yeah, yeah, no. I, it could, there's some good stuff. All that it, just, it does kind of get old after a while. But um, anyway, uh, so here's a quote: "Our checks indicate a somewhat lighter new business quarter than prior periods, with typical Q2 seasonality combining with a few one-time factors." And that was a Piper Jaffrey analyst. Um, then he also said that. Uh, we do not believe these issues to be structural or competitive in nature, and therefore we're not adjusting our thesis rating or price target. So Piper Jaffrey, they stuck at whatever they're. I think they they have them in the overweight category, mm-hmm. which always confused me. Does that mean they're like they're bloated and they need to lose some some value, or does that mean that you should overweigh them higher in your portfolio? Like I, I, that yeah. metaphor is always like I, I I can never remember it, but I think it means that. Um, They've got a bright future, like it's going to be. And in fact, their price target's a hundred. And Salesforce right now is trading down at like seventy six, something like that. Um, but there's another firm that was the other one that did the the other report, and they were called OTR Global. Um, they lowered their rating um, from mixed, or sorry, to mixed. They were well, they were positive on Salesforce. Now they're mixed. Um, they said weaker mid tier partner checks that fell below expectations. So they're literally dialing up partners, just saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, how's it going?" How are the lead? How are the leads? How are those leads? How's that gravy train working out for you? <laughs> <laughs> no, not so well. Are, are you doing any uh, critical podcasts of Salesforce or why was it draining? <laughs> no, well, then their business must not be very good. <laughs> I find that interesting though. They 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 they're calling up partners. I mean, I think I guess that's what these analysts th- see. I, that's reporting. That's what people are supposed well, to do. That's what I'm asking. I mean, how how are they getting a feel for for what's going on if they haven't released the numbers yet? Because so they're I calling partners. Yeah, they're, they're calling Which people. Is, up. They're, they're cold calling, right? Yeah, they are. I mean, hey, they're doing their effing job. <laughs> <laughs> do some research. Pick up the phone. You know, call somebody, ask somebody that's in the business, that's in the channel, that's in the ecosystem. Don't just read the press release and change a few paragraphs around in the bottom, put my point of view, blah, blah, blah. Like, no one gives a crap what your point of view is if you didn't actually do any work. Isn't that what we do? Yes. (laughs) And hence, we're not journalists. Right. We're also not getting paid. (laughs) That makes it okay. Anyway. No, I mean, like, so this Piper Jaffer, they say that, you know, they, they said there's a couple of one-time things. Now, here's what I want to know. I know how OTR got their information. They're dialing for dollars. They're calling partners, and they're just interviewing people, you know, asking questions. Piper Jaffrey says that we don't think there's anything here that's structural competitive. And there are a few, cause there are a couple of one-time things, right? They're going to hit the balance sheet maybe, or, or the, the, the acquisitions, com- or? Yeah, maybe so. But, I mean, but my question is, well, how do they know that? The, the earnings report is not out yet. How do they know these things? True. That, that, that's my question. 
Well, and the answer is because companies always they slip the info they want to the to the people who they want it to go to. All right. Um, the other man, we this is more uh, <laughs> a little bit more drama here. Um, the misaligned management and over overvalued or whatever. Oh yeah, that was that was interesting. Yeah. So I've got. I mean, I I, I pulled a bunch of just little quotes and things. So if this gets boring, just you know, throw a put it on time. Throw two or throw something. an inflated can of Diet Coke at me. <laughs> that, that poor thing. It's so sad. It, it is sad. <laughs> Um, all right, so okay, Salesforce Salesforce.com looks like a '90s era technology company with its questionable related party transactions, its pie in the sky valuation of 76 times EBITDA, and its increasingly aggressive acquisitions of many unprofitable and negative tangible equity companies, and a competitive landscape that is becoming increasingly fierce. Ultimately, Salesforce sells products that do not have meaningful exit costs, and with the CEO selling down. Over 60% of his stake, shareholders should be concerned. Out of that, there's one part I disagree with. And, he's, his, and he claims this several times in the article, that basically the, the cost to quit Salesforce is very low. And I feel the opposite. I feel like Salesforce is sticky. I thought he, he was trying to make the point that it, they, they were sticky, that there was just no... Well, and as I'm reading this wrong, he says, ultimately, Salesforce sells products that do not have meaningful exit costs, meaning it's cheap to leave Salesforce. Mm. And I don't think it is. That's why it's so proprietary. That's why they have Apex and VisualForce and Process Builder and Salesforce proprietary formula functions, all that kind of stuff, because they don't want you going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, from a data perspective, it's pretty. You're, easy, you're not going to take your meta. This is not. This is not. You know, SQL ninety two or SQL two thousand, whatever it is. You're not going to take your Salesforce metadata and go to AWS and say, oh, "Yeah, we'd like to deploy this on your AWS," and they're going to, you know, you can't do that. Right. It, that that is pretty sticky. Yeah. So I think he's. I don't think he. At least in that aspect, I don't think he understands how Salesforce's actual technology works. Anything else? Uh, any other points on that that you heard? I I got stuck on the the whole selling sixty percent of his stake in Salesforce. I mean, he's he 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 is on an aggressive sell schedule. This is another point I've I've made several times, which is I'm seeing I've been seeing this for years, but it seems to be continuing. Salesforce management, nothing but selling, sell, 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 and a lot. I mean, they're all. Well, I mean, it's part of their compensation package, which is becoming another issue. They're they're paying people with stock. They're diluting uh, yeah, the stock. Yeah, and and the thing is, though, especially if you're someone like Benioff, who is already a multi billionaire, right? If if he thinks that Salesforce is a good investment, he would not be selling his stock. That's just period. The end. He would not be selling his stock if he thought it was a good investment. If he thinks there's a big upside in that stock, he would not be selling it. And and it, they don't get as much coverage, but you know, I look at Parker Harris and um, uh, Keith Block, Keith Block, and Burke Norton, and or I think that's the name. All these guys, and they're selling for, for the amount of stock they own, pretty big percentages of it too, and really regularly. And here's the other thing: no one that I've seen, no management, is buying stock. No, oh, Benioff is. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. No, he's not. Yeah. Oh, not his stock. Well, no, he invests in a company, then <laughs> Salesforce buys them for <laughs> okay. stock, and then he gets the stock back, and then he just sells it again. All right, gold star for John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Next uh, next idea here. SaaS is all about leasing services. Oh, I think this is my quote. 
I think I mixed quotes with me taking notes. I, I'm not sure what this is. SaaS is all about leasing services without CapEx. This, this was me because it's, they're not, the sentences don't make sense. Then I said immediate expense. So basically what I meant by that is smile, tilt your head. What? <laughs> yeah. Um, the one great thing about, you know, buying Salesforce versus say buying Siebel, or are they even around anymore or whatever? Maybe, um, one of the things where you buy a license up front is with Salesforce, you can expense it on that year's, the 100% of the amount. It's like um, leasing a car versus buying one. Businesses love leasing things because they, it, they can expense it immediately. Um, but then he said, uh, then, okay, but the ease of getting into these services as a customer has, oh no, this is his idea. Again, I'm paraphrasing this guy. The ease of getting into these services like Salesforce and other SaaS companies, it's easier, but that's led to commoditization. And, quote, insignificant exit costs. And this is back to that idea that I actually don't agree with that. I think he means that the switching costs are low. What, what is the commodity that he's talking about? The fact that it's so easy to get into these. The fact that, you know, because back in the day, I mean, you're a pretty big company, you're going to do a CRM. I mean, you got, you got to fly people out, you know, do expensive evaluations and demos and, and trial and all these. And, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, you still do some of that with SaaS. But if a SaaS company is doing their job right, it should be so easy. To, I mean, they're frictionless to get started. Right. You sign up, you get an org. There's no credit card. There's no bit bit. You don't have to. Um, you, know, you don't have to go out to dinner. Hopefully, you don't, I mean, you don't uh, have to wait. Especially, for, especially if you know. Well, I don't know. If you, I mean, if there's someone else is paying, okay, go out for dinner. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> that's my policy. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, but he says uh, LinkedIn is a massive competitive advantage for Microsoft. Um, Salesforce's own integration with LinkedIn Navigator, which is one of the Salesforce or uh, LinkedIn's things they sell, but it allows people who are like basically buying that data or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's the tool they use. So Salesforce's integration with LinkedIn Navigator seems mediocre, and there's lots of bad reviews and complaints about pricing. And I went in there; I, it's on the Epic Exchange. I went and looked at it. And it is, doesn't get very good reviews and all kinds of complaints and everything. <clears throat> Um, another interesting thing was, and I didn't, I, this was covered to death. And I think it's probably why I didn't, I didn't pick up on this because I was basically just, I was like, I'm done with this LinkedIn news. Mm-hmm. But you know how they were going on and on about all the backstory? Yeah. Uh, all this. But one point I didn't realize is that what, even after LinkedIn and Microsoft entered exclusive talks, like they signed an agreement saying, okay, we're only, basically, we're only talking to you at this point, Microsoft. Right. But now we just need to figure out the details. Salesforce for months was continuing to sit, bit, submit bids. Because they wanted it so bad. There's a few more details in that paragraph. If I don't know if they're true or not. I mean, because it's, it's not confirmed, right? I mean, this is all just hearsay at this point. But um, it, he painted the picture that Salesforce really drove up the price, even after exclusivity. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's... Well, because they were... Before they entered in exclusive talks with Microsoft, they were... I mean, it was... There were three or four bidders. Yeah. I mean, it was... Up. I'm sure all of them were driving up the price, but Salesforce was, I think Salesforce got really aggressive, but they just, they didn't have the cash. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean, they, they just couldn't compete cash wise. I mean, it was a combination of cash and stock and LinkedIn wanted cash. Yeah. Or, well, I mean, they, to, Microsoft to more, was offering to, cash. To be more specific, they probably didn't want Salesforce stock. <laughs> <laughs> um, and here's a quote. Okay. It is clear just how important an improved sales function is for Salesforce's enterprise software. With LinkedIn in the hands of Microsoft and with the desperate bidding for LinkedIn by Salesforce, this suggests tougher roads ahead for Salesforce in an industry that is becoming increasingly more commoditized. 
I don't know. I mean, that, he's saying that it's a bad thing, but I mean, uh, well, again, I mean, I think not, well, the bad it's it's bad for Salesforce that Microsoft got LinkedIn. I think that's going no, I to mean, become the, the more and more clear perspective. I just, I mean, it's well, and, and that's why. I mean, was it? I mean, do you remember a couple of years ago when Benioff? Because I think I was kind of poking fun at him. He 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 had this phrase he kept saying over and over. It was it was like these three things. It was systems of something. It was systems of record. Systems of something else and systems of intelligence. And he started saying systems of intelligence like out of nowhere. He added that mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Well, now we can see what that is. I mean, the, how many acquisitions have they done that are intelligence related? Yeah. And they got a new one this M- week. My point is, is this is how you fight commoditization. Like everyone's got CRM now, mm-hmm. right? Everyone's got, I mean, people, people are better at CRM than Salesforce. People are better at, at task man, at, at, um, at SFA than Salesforce. Do you remember what SFA? Remember that? Salesforce yeah. automation? That used to be a thing. People are better at SFA than Salesforce. People are better at email than Salesforce. People are better at pipeline reports than Salesforce. So how can how can well, how how Salesforce going to compete? Well, systems of intelligence, because that's hard, right? Which is also one reason why. And I'm not saying Salesforce hasn't developed any intelligence internally, but they've certainly have been buying up all these little and they're all aqua hires. Yeah, they're just trying to get the people that know how to do this intelligence stuff, and that's how you. Listen, you, you, can't, you can't, in your parents' basement, in three months, build a CRM system that's got a bunch of intelligence stuff. You can build a CRM system that probably competes fairly well with Salesforce's basic CRM, but you're, it's not going to be loaded with all kinds of cool AI stuff. The question is, can they deliver on any of that? Right. I mean, I, I mean that's the big question. Yeah. Um, his other points, uh, major corporate governance red flags, red flags with like the MetaMind and Quip Acquisitions that Salesforce that Benioff was own, an owner of, like he's the owner of one company buying these other companies. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily anything bad. I mean, because he probably there's probably some process by which, like he, uh, what's it called? Um, when you not uh, when you exclude yourself, yeah, you recuse yourself. Yeah, now nah, well, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's red flag, whatever. It, it's another thing that's interesting. He points out and uh, is that you know you've got these interesting. Uh, increases in, in depreciation. So from 2005 to 2011, Salesforce depreciated its assets between three and five years. Beginning in 2012, they started depreciating assets between three and seven years. And in 2014, they got a three and between three and nine years. What does that mean? Well, depreciating assets over a longer time period allows Salesforce to understate the amount of operating expenses it, expenses it recognizes, thus leading to an overstated EBIT, EBITDA and net income. So let's say you buy a computer for $2,000 and you can miss it over 2,000 years. <laughs> wow, <laughs> dollar a year. $2,000 computer, you can miss it over two years. So in year one, it costs you $1,000. In year two, it costs you $2,000. And those are going to come off of your, uh, your P&L. Mm-hmm. But if you expense that same computer over seven years, well, now it's only, I can't do the math on that. What's 2,000 divided by seven, whatever that is. You know, now you're talking about a few hundred dollars a year. John's going <laughs> to do some math for me. <laughs> about $285 and some yeah, change. You're right. So now your P&L looks much better. Um, unless, unless those assets, unless that computer, unless you can actually use that computer for seven years, it, this, is, this guy says this is a development, or this development is a red flag. And then I, my comment on that was a gold star to accounting. Another gold star to accounting, right? <laughs> But we're not talking your laptop. We're talking, you know, server the the data center infrastructure. This is its asset depreciation policy. Oh, global. <laughs> yeah, oh. for everything. 
Yeah, um, that, that could be a problem. But then, man, he, he, he really goes through this litany here. So questionable acquisition. So since, since 2011, Salesforce has required, uh, acquired 11 companies spending over $7 billion, which is about its annual revenue. <laughs> okay. Over the same period of time, though, even the margins have declined from 6% in 2011 to 2% in 2016. And gross margins have declined from 80% to 75%. Uh, return on capital has decreased from 6% to 1%. And if you take all those as a whole, all those metrics suggest that Salesforce's acquisition costs have not been beneficial for its fundamental performance. And that management is not very good at allocating capital to the benefit of shareholders. It's like, why are you... Again, maybe we're not seeing it yet, but over the, you know, again, over the, what is that, five years? All these acquisitions, and it's just, it seems to, things are getting worse and worse and worse, not better and better and better. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I think, I think a lot of the acquisitions that happen are acquires or acquires, is that what we're calling them? Yeah, but they're not helping acquires. the company, even if it's for the people. Those people are not helping the company. It, I mean, not it, yet, anyway. No, I mean, they're, they're build, building technology that just hasn't been released yet. Yeah, just like Lightning. I mean, like, like you said, you can't build. Where, you how's, can't, that, how's that Thundercloud coming? Hello, systems of intelligence. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, they're building these things. It's just yeah. as as when you're looking at the numbers, you're like, okay, you made all these acquisitions over the past five years. Where can we see then? The numbers are just getting. It's not that they're just holding steady. It's that they're getting worse. All right. So, assistly. You remember assistly? Mm-hmm. That was 2011. 60 million in cash. Uh, this had negative uh, negative tangible equity at the time of acquisition. And 78% of the, and I, this, I'm glad he talks about this, 78% of the purchase price was a goodwill. I remember I'm talking about goodwill, yeah. how that number's, yeah. I mean, what is that on the balance sheet now? It's got to be eight or $10 billion. Uh, Radiant 6 acquired for $340 million, 78% went to goodwill. That means that the company was only worth 22% of what they paid for it. The rest is in, we hope this works out really well. <laughs> That's what goodwill means. And, and sometimes what happens, it's like, for example, when Microsoft, what was the phone maker they bought? Nokia? Yeah. So billions of yep. dollars for Nokia, right? Is it Nokia? Am I making that up? No, it was, it was. It was Nokia. Yeah. And, event, and so that hits their books as all this goodwill. And eventually, you have to write that down. And, it, and again, that's what they call like a one-time charge. Okay, we're going we're gonna to write this. We've had it on the books for $3 billion. We're going to write it down to $500 million. Well, that's a $2.5 billion loss that you take in that whatever quarter that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Go Instant? I don't remember them. 90% of that was in goodwill. That was $50 million. Uh, Buddy Media, 80%, 87%. Or the $740 million for Buddy Media. So 87% in goodwill. Ripple, $50 million in cash. 90% was goodwill. Edge Spring, $130 million in stock and cash. 80% was goodwill. What's Edge Spring? Um, I don't know. Uh, exact Target. That was, that was the biggie. $2.5 billion. Um. Yeah, Salesforce purchased Exact Target for a whopping 109 times Exact Target's uh, 2014 EBITDA, and 100 times management's bull case. Whatever that means. Relate IQ 340 million, 85 percent in goodwill. Man, those guys made out. Those Relate IQ guys. Yeah. Good for them. Uh, MetaMine 48 billion. 10. Oh, Benioff owned MetaMind, yes. <laughs> and he received $6 million. Uh, Quip, $750 million. Benioff participated in the Series A funding of uh, Quip. And Demandware, Demandware, that's another big one, $2.8 billion. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's uh, worth pointing out that they, you know, they rejected Salesforce's stock offer and made them pay cash. How did Salesforce finance that? Did they sell bonds or what did they do? I don't remember. Yeah. 
Another thing, another fact is that the CEO is a serial seller of stock. We just talked about that. But here's the numbers. Uh, Mark Benioff has sold down 60% of his shares. And his ownership has gone from, he used to own 20%, 26% of the company. And now he owns 6% of the company. And his question is, why would investors invest in a company whose CEO and founder seemingly does not view his own company as a good investment? Again, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's hard times. Maybe he's got... Uh, too many mortgages to pay, and he's, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he needs to, I mean, you know, the only time you sell uh, an increasing asset is if you need the money. Um, and then uh, another thing that was interesting was that when they, when they changed their compensation philosophy, so they, if you go back and look at, like, I think there's like their 2006 in one of the statements, like their, their 10K statement, it says, it talks about how they, uh, they don't use, they're not big on cash bonuses to manage, but they don't think it's effective. And in 2011, they changed that footnote, and it now says, and I think since then it says, "Hey, we think cash bonuses are pretty a pretty good idea." <laughs> or I think it was it's like basically I think it's I think it's it's stock is the way they end up. Yeah, I, I never under, I I read that I didn't understand what that meant. Well, because it seemed like they said the same thing in both statements, but they they modified the latter to say for what was it non or not non exempt but um, short term that they weren't. They didn't agree with it for long-term, but short-term compensation. Well, and that, that is the justification for it being a non-GAAP uh, expense, which no one believes, but that's just what they say. Anyway, but anyway, when they changed that policy, that's also when Salesforce started reporting in non-GAAP instead of GAAP. And at, at that time, um, non-GAAP operating income was 10 times greater than GAAP operating income. Anyway, I mean, he goes on, but he just talks and he does the math on how, and this is what I've been saying. If so, Salesforce is very overvalued and like from where they are right now. Mm-hmm. And in order for them to grow into the, their current valuation, which is like what, 58, 60 billion, what they're going to have to do between now and 2025. And it's, um, yeah, they're basically, I mean, here, here, the one model would be, if their margins go from 4% to 8%, and if they have 24% kegger, I love that word, kegger, <laughs> love a kegger, good kegger, who can, <laughs> who can resist, compounded annual growth rate, 25% kegger, um, in 2025, they'll hit $58 billion in value at like, I don't know, at common valuations. That's what I've just been saying, like, man, if they, if they can't keep this growth rate, I mean, it, right now, it's a, it, right now it's, a, it's a big old bubble. And the question is, is, is that thing going to pop or are they going to be able to, you know, maybe they can. I mean, they probably know, you know, I'm sure they know better than anyone else. But they're also selling their stock very fast, which is the concern. And there's still Dreamforce to come. It's when they rally. The, the, everyone, everyone, will, everyone will get the warm and fuzzies and yeah, you get, you gotta have start your, buying those licenses. You got to have your revival. Yeah. Keep the faithful faithful. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we have Beyond Core. Yeah, it's a. It, I don't. That's a Beyonce's favorite AI company. <laughs> <laughs> that was lame. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm laughing at the lameness, not because it was funny. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, but they even pay for Beyond Beyond Core. I didn't find that anywhere. Did you? Uh, no, I don't think I saw that. I was on their blog. It just says signs agreement. I don't think it discusses money yet. 
Here's what one analyst said about it. Salesforce.com's pace of acquisitions clearly raises concerns about its ability to grow margins meaningfully from the current level. I think, that, I think that's a comment just on these. Yeah, the, he says the pace of the acquisitions. With the Beyond Core acquisition, or while it's very small and is in line with Salesforce's historical practice of buying technology tuck-ins, I like that. I like a tuck-in. <laughs> we think such a rapid pace of acquisition combined with recent information that it could have paid, that it could have paid more uh, than Microsoft for LinkedIn have clearly offered a valid reason for a pause among investors as they assess uh, risk to the company's future performance. I, don't, I, I think I'm going to be really curious to see what happens after the quarter results. If if the analysts will will continue to say, yeah, it might not be look good, look good right now, but it's still yeah, it's, it still has it still has a strong right. future, or if if they'll start to change their tune. I don't I don't know. My my guess is that. And I'm sure, you know, the numbers will still be up. They just won't be up as much as their historical pace has been. <clears throat> and especially if what Piper Jaffrey said is true, which is, it might have been a couple of one-time factors. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Acquisitions or some kind of cost or something. Yeah. Um, but the technology, so beyond core. So they, they, they claim that their enterprise analytics evaluates uh, all possible combinations within a data set and, and uncovers all insights. Oh, did you did you read the part where they're expanding the the sit on citizen developer? No, I didn't. Yeah, they're, they're, it's, I don't remember where it's at, but they they actually say citizen data scientist, citizen scientist, huh? Citizen data scientist. I didn't I didn't go to college, but I stayed in Holiday Inn Express last night. I'm a citizen <laughs> scientist, baby. <laughs> oh, great. Um, isn't that what uh, Bill Side the Nine, the Bill Nye the Science Guy is? He's a citizen scientist. He's not even like a. He's like a. He's a. He's a faux scientist. I, mean, is, I don't know. Yeah. No, he's not. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I watch Bill Nye. <laughs> he's a, he's like a TV entertainer. He's not a scientist. Um, well, I, I guess I guess the point of their their application is that they're trying to make tools that make that easier. That type of analytics. I guess it 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 the smartness is in that it tries to do a lot more analytics for you versus you actively going in there and creating algorithms or data models yeah. or, you know, cubes and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, they say they'll continue to provide their technology to their customers, a, a, even as a part of Salesforce. The, the CEO said that, um, uh, oh, no, yeah, so he says, uh, that, well, he had a blog post. Did you read the blog post? Yeah. So that he had, and in, in, in the end of his blog post, he, in the, he offered a link to a free trial for the tool and encourages uh, people to stay tuned. They also are integrated with uh, Microsoft Office apps. I'm not sure what that would do. Um, oh, it says that it helps companies analyze and understand their data through stories presented in Office apps. Here's your story. I, I always find it's like, it's like, I, like an enhanced Microsoft. What's that, Clippy? <laughs> Here's your story. <laughs> I, I always wonder if these if these tools are trying to sell to the wrong people. Like they're always trying to say, like, oh, no, you know, they sold to the right person, John. Well, they sold to Mark Benioff. <laughs> the way they describe these tools is like, imagine your user going in and just doing these analytics, and they immediately know it. I'm like, users don't create reports; they don't really like doing that. They just yeah. want to go in and, you know, update their opportunity. Or if we're talking sales, right? You know, it's usually admins or someone else who's actually creating these things for them. So I, I feel like they're trying to sell to the wrong audience when they talk about how they're going to empower these users to do these things. I just wonder how much 
uptake Beyond Core even had because on that CEO blog post, there was one comment and it was just, it was, it sounded like it was an employee. It was like a one sentence comment. I mean, if Benioff did a blog post or I don't know, like a, that's probably not a fair comparison, but I don't know. You expect a, a CEO of a data science company that sells his company to get more than one comment, a bogus one at that on his blog post? Seems weird. I mean, it's a blog post. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you're expecting. I just, you know, I think it's sometimes interesting. People will comment some insightful things and there's just nothing. Hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah. So we have, we'll have, um, yeah. So the, okay. So <laughs> the, the citizen data scientist, I, I queried it because I, I wanted to find out where that came from because I thought I read that somewhere. It wasn't in there, but it says, I guess this is a quote from, from the CEO, yeah. at least based on this site from Katie Nuggets. Those are my favorite kind of nuggets. I, I, don't, I don't know if this is some kind of <laughs> aggregator site or what, but it has this quote. It says, the naysayers are on the wrong side of citizen data scientist debate. Business users already have self-service BI capabilities and make decisions whether they are statistically sound or not. We can't stop them from making decisions, but we should make, it, should make statistically sound decisions easier. This news approach is called smart data discovery. So Whatever. I guess that's a quote from his little Whatever. article here. <clears throat> if you don't understand the basics of statistics, what what to set your, you know, your p value or your confidence levels, then what, you don't even know what you're. You still don't know what you're doing. I'm sorry. You still have to have smart people, folks. Tools are great, but tools in the hands of dummies are not great. But I mean, are you saying that we can't build smart tools that can do more for no, us? No, we can't. Smarter that you know we don't have to be as smart because the tool does it for us. The tool can do the grunt work, but again, if you don't understand the information the tool is surfacing to you, if you, I mean, that's true. I mean, if you're blindly trusting the, these these numbers, these metrics, I mean, it, it, get, it comes down to like approval processes. We we rail on that all the time. That that oh, you can approve on your phone or on your watch. I'm like, well, how much information can you fit on there to know what you're approving? And and these tools, they they promise to tell you like, hey, if you send your proposal. Next Tuesday, you're probably going to win the deal. I'm sorry. Do, does anyone believe this? That these things are going to... There's an algorithm pre- that yeah, figures the, this all out. Yeah. Right. Another thing I wondered, though, in order to do that kind of analysis, they, they would have to be pulling all of your org data into their system. You can't run those in Salesforce. You don't have access to, again, back to SQL. Not being, SQL's not near powerful enough or anything like that. You'd want to be able to really churn that stuff in a, in a high-performance database. Yeah, which most BI tools... Require they pull it out into yeah. their own database. Yeah, well, even, the, Wave, even Wave does that. Oh, that's true. Yeah, good point. Another gold star for John. Ding ding. <laughs> All right, John. I'm late for dinner. You're late for dinner. Yep. All right, I'm hungry. What's for dinner? <laughs> Probably nothing. But whatever it is, I'm late for. Well, I thought you had that cool sous vide thing. I thought you'd have like some cool, you know, meat that's perfectly cooked and everything. <laughs> I'll let you complain to my wife about that. <laughs> <laughs> and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. I can't let the man continue with fuzzy math. In a lockbox. Fuzzy math. Could, could uh, I, could I, I respond question. to that, Jim? Do, uh, this uh, is, this we, is we're a big issue. This is a big issue. Could we do another round on it? Lockbox. Fuzzy math. Lockbox. Fuzzy math. Lockbox. Fuzzy math. Lockbox. Fuzzy math. Could we do another round on it? Fuzzy box. Fuzzy box. Fuzzy box. Fuzzy box. Could we do another round on it? We have to stop here. Why?